Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us again. We are super excited because we have some guests on our show today. And that is the group from Crimes, Cryptids, and Controversies, Shay and Jen. Hi. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, you guys are good. So we're teaming up with them today. We are going to do a little fun story from each of us and thought we would have some cool stories to tell. Uh, Jen and Shay, what story are you going to be telling us about today? So we are going to be talking about the spooky Hammersmith ghost. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know yeah. that story. <laughs> it's fascinating. I don't know it at all. It. it was on BuzzFeed Unsolved a while back, and I was like, this is amazing. I really want to research this. And then you guys were like, will you research it? And I was like, uh, fuck yeah, this is great. And then, <laughs> oh, of course, I was all Fantastic. into the legality of it. I'm like, totally into the legality of it. I'm like, wow, <laughs> this was like a huge thing for England. Like, uh, what century long controversy on self-defense so. yeah really oh yeah. shit i'm super inter- intrigued now that's gonna be cool yeah <laughs> and declan what are you gonna be telling us about uh today i'm gonna be talking about wayne williams Ooh, oh. i don't know that one either uh-uh. god i feel like well, i'm in the I'll dark for everything today he's he's not a good guy so <laughs> well <laughs> You know, it's the crime part. You're the brutal part, yeah, so I knew he wouldn't be a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be like vigilante justice, though? Like, darn it. <laughs> oh, true. Could have been. Could have been. <laughs> and to accompany this story, I have the cocktail, the Scarlet O'Hara. Oh. This cocktail consists of two ounces of Southern Comfort and half ounce of lime juice. And two to four ounces of cranberry juice. It's up to the creator of the drink. If you like more cranberry, add more. And a lime wedge for garnish. I added more cranberry. Yeah, me too. I I like cranberry juice, so. We did four ounces. I went on the hefty side of four ounces. (laughs) Yes. I was also scared of the Southern Comfort, so I went for... Heavy cranberry. <laughs> yeah, cranberry is a very good mixer. It it masks a lot of flavors, that's for sure. Yeah, it's very intense. <laughs> are we going to taste this drink? So, or are you going to tell ready. us the story about it first? I found a little bit of history on it. Okay, so tell me the story. This, the story goes that Scarlett O'Hara cocktail was created shortly after the 1993 release of Gone with the Wind. And the drink was named 
Start yeah, over. 1939, did I say? You said 93. <laughs> I was like, 1993, oh, I was really thinking hard there. I'm like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> the story goes that the Scarlet O'Hara cocktail was created shortly after the 1939 release of Gone with the Wind. The drink was named after the Southern Belle Scarlet O'Hara, who was found in the film. Okay. I have I never seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I haven't either. Uh-uh. But we're going to be drinking a drink that's it's a like bit old for my, years in time. <laughs> my <liking>. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here Everybody. we go. I'm Here so we excited. Go. Hmm. Mm, oh, good really God. Good. It is. It's a lot. I just taste cranberry. I Me too. Yeah. It, Shay put mine in a cup that says it my kind of reminds me of like a... <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of a cosmopolitan. Oh, because of the cranberry, maybe. Yeah, cranberry and the lime. And the lime. Well, the old, the old mm-hmm. recipe for a cosmopolitan. There's right. Been multiple. Yeah. Right. It's not bad. I it's- don't taste any alcohol in mine, so no, I, I can't say if Southern it's. Southern Comfort goes pretty good. It's pretty sweet, like a little bit fruity. Yeah. Okay. This is gonna be a problem well. Dad was giving me a. <laughs> now we found your new favorite drink. I know, damn it, you guys! <laughs> no, I don't even really drink alcohol. This Sorry, is not bad. I didn't spit it out right away. <laughs> it's kind Good of rare for us. Right? A lot of our cocktails, a lot of our cocktails are pretty gross. So <laughs> you That's got true. lucky this time. They, Thank you so much. They most <laughs> often fail. It seems like. <laughs> I was yeah. listening to the one. The Elisa Lamb episode you guys did with the egg whites, and I was like, yep. I'm bobbing oh, in my yeah. mouth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that yep. was pretty gross. It was bad. <laughs> really bad. So let me tell you about Wayne Williams. So Wayne Williams was born on May 27th, 1958 to teachers Homer and Faye Williams. From a young age, he was always interested in music. After graduating from Douglas High School, Wayne began working at a radio station and went in to create his own radio station eventually. So he had his own station like playing music, which... Is pretty wild. Um, I, yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, I guess that's kind of what, what we're entrepreneurs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. True. That's true. We <laughs> wouldn't even think twice about it now. <laughs> As his interest in music grew, he began to he began his road to stardom by producing and managing talent. He would frequently invite young people from the area to his studios in hopes of discovering the next hit pop star. While Wayne never found his golden goose, he would have much bigger problems on his hands. From 1978 to 1981, there were around 29 boys murdered in Atlanta that were one way or another linked. Oh, shit. I don't love the direction. That is a lot. It's a lot in the span of like two or three years. That's for right. Sure. Yeah. Oh crap! I didn't even think about the time frame. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Within about I mean, three are years, we there were like around one a month. 
this was like a monthly deal or something. Yeah. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's almost. a lot. So neighbors of Wayne claim that he was acting strange and kids from the neighborhood report that Wayne would impersonate police and tell kids that they need to go home or else he would lock them up. Uh, he was even driving around in an official looking car. It was the same type of car that detectives of the time would drive. Oh, what so, an asshole. Yeah. He, yeah right. He kind of back then you kind of just kind of did what you want. I think. <laughs> well, yeah. you know what you want until some kid's dad comes and does what they want. <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. True. So all the murders around town uh, caused quite the concern. So police had set up in locations where multiple bodies had been found. And on May 22nd, 1981, a patrol car was observing the James Jackson Parkway Bridge on the Chattahoochee River when they hear a loud splash. Oh, no. no. Coming off the bridge was Wayne in his distinct detective-like car. Wayne was pulled over and questioned. He claimed that he was going to the next town over to meet up with a future talent named Cheryl Jackson. However, police discovered that this person didn't exist. Right, and that's wonderful, but why the hell are you in a police car, sir? Yeah, I, I think it's like if someone bought a, a a Ford Explorer now and they made it look like a cop car. It, oh, I don't okay. think it's like a big problem, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like a car that a detective would be driving, but it's the same <laughs> model that you would just like find on the street. So, oh, a little I bit of a gray he... area. Okay, all right. Fine, Wayne, but you're on thin ice, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Two days later, the body of 27-year-old Nathaniel Carter was discovered at the location where Wayne was pulled over at. Two days? I mean, they waited two days after they heard a loud thud in the water. (laughs) Well, I think they went to go check it out, but the body wasn't discovered until two days later. Oh, maybe wow. it just kind of like sunk. Yeah. yeah. That's so Carter was missing for four days in total and was last seen in the company of Wayne. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So, so this made Wayne their number one suspect in the investigation. And uh, Williams was taken into the station and questioned. Uh, this is when he failed three polygraph tests and was sent home to allow police to gather further evidence because they didn't really have enough to convict him on the spot. So they just like, uh, wait a little bit. We'll be back. (laughs) Exactly. So so we think you did it, but, and you failed a bunch of polygraphs, but why don't you go home, but we're going to keep working on it. And that's basically what they told him. Yeah. Okay. So, so, I mean, I know they have to do that, but still. Yeah. It's not great. I bet they had someone watching him, though. They had a detective somewhere oh, down definitely. that street or somewhere watching him. Yeah. It, so, if they were posted up on so. the bridge watching the Chattahoochee, they probably had someone following him around. Right. God, I hope Jess, so. You might, you might answer this later, but do they know, like, did people just casually see Williams and the kid walking around or like 
was he pretending to be like the music producer or was there any reason that the kid was with Williams at this point or it was just like a side? Uh, I believe it was for his like music production company. I think he was trying to sponsor the, I think he was trying to sponsor Carter. Oh, okay. Isn't that so sad? Like, th- that would young kind of dream. explain. Yeah, exactly. That, <sighs> And he seemed like someone who was able to help them, but I don't really think he helped them at all. Mm-mm. He helped him into Doesn't sound like day. it. Yeah. Oh, my God. He helped pull him right off the bridge. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I was so, just curious. <laughs> <laughs> So one victim, Jimmy Ray Payne, was found with his fibers matching those of Wayne's dogs, his carpet, and his home. Oh. While this alone wasn't enough evidence to convict Williams, he was interrogated by FBI for over 12 hours. Hold on, I'm sorry, that Well, I don't think it would be enough because he could easily say he was recording in my house or he had visited my house. Yeah. Ugh, all right. You know what I'm Fine. saying? Still on thin ice, so yeah. <laughs> I'm suspicious. So a profiler for the FBI named John Douglas was tasked with creating a psychological profile about the serial killer in Atlanta. His profile reported that he believed the killer was black and had connection to the black community. Oh. Wayne fit this profile perfectly. Oh. Because he was a producer, he was in with a lot of... Uh, aspiring black talent in atlanta and so Mm -hmm. he he had access to the black community just like like more than most people would that's horrible he's preying on their yeah oh um so it wasn't until june i'm sorry i don't want to turn this into a race thing was he black as well yes wayne was was black I thought he was just some white guy too. I was like, "That's okay." That adds another layer. Which That's so much worse. It makes so much more sense that he's black and that in the time frame back what in the seventies. Yeah, you kind of have to like stick together. That sense of community. Kids are gonna follow him. Dude, like, that's fucked. These up. kids have dreams. They're talking about making him a famous musician or something. Give him a career. You wow. Know? I'm so sorry to keep interrupting. I'm just full of questions and fascinating. <laughs> no <right> worries. <laughs> So it wasn't until June 21st, 1981, when Wayne was arrested. His alibis were weak. He failed the polygraph test, and the fibers around him matched the fibers on 19 of the bodies discovered. Oh, shit. That's that's a lot right there. (laughs) It's not just one guy anymore. (laughs) Sir, everybody keeps seeming to die that visit your home. (laughs) What the fuck, bro? (laughs) Yeah, it seems a little suspicious to me. (laughs) A little bit. So, while attending Wayne's trial, Douglas claims that Wayne was exactly like a majority of serial killers he had interviewed before. Wow. And on February 1982, Wayne was sentenced to two life sentences for the murder of Carter and Payne. Wayne was never charged for the rest of the murders, but many believe he was the culprit. However, many have also speculated that Wayne was just a scapegoat. However, Williams and his victims only know the truth. Wait, weren't they all found oh with fibers gosh. from his house? Well, 19 of them. Yes. What the hell? Yeah, but I, the evidence just wasn't strong enough at the time. 
to be able to fully link him with the other 19 murders. And that still accounts for 10 murders that weren't linked to him with fibers. So who who really Mm. knows? Wow. Now, isn't this the one where they reopened it because they're trying to blame the KKK and stuff? Wait, really? Yeah, I feel like I heard that. Shit. I don't know if it was this case, but there were a lot of speculations that Wayne wasn't the one who killed all the all the people. It was certain that he killed at least those two people, but I mean, what's to say if he killed those people, he didn't kill the rest of them? Right. I hope. Well, exactly. You kill one. Yeah. What's the question of you killing more than one? Yeah. <laughs> but he still, yeah, he exactly. never admitted to it, right? No, he never admitted to it. Yeah, I feel like this is the case, wow. Declan, that I heard that they were trying to blame the KKK for it. Jesus. I mean, at the time, I guess. Fine, yeah. but... <clears throat> yeah. That's... I mean, that would be oh. something, though. Like, if... It, truly, like, if if the KKK was involved and they were, like, Lord following Jesus. him around, just, like... <gasps> oh. Oh. Yeah, like, oh, but like they set like, him up. Yeah. But it doesn't explain the bridge incident. Right? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> um. Here's and that, that they so, Golden State. <laughs> so that bridge over the Chattahoochee was, they had already discovered. I think it was two or three bodies at that location yeah. so far before they had seen him ha- seen him on the bridge. So that's why they were staking it out. It had oh, been the okay. dumping location previously, so they they yeah, just happened right. to hear a huge splash in the river and see Wayne driving on the bridge. I might say it it was very late at night, so he was the only person on the bridge. Okay. That's not a good look. Yeah. Mm, yeah no, so that kind of all. defeats the whole thing of saying the KKK did it. Yeah, never mind. I mean, right did. there. When well, they might have done some of them. They're, they they did all the others. It's just this one. Yeah. There was <laughs> 10 that weren't linked to his uh, fibers from his house or his dog. So maybe they did the other 10 and he was responsible for 19 of them. 19. Right. No one, oh no one really they, just, they waited outside until the kids came out and they said, perfect. Now he has fibers on them. Let's go get him. So there you go. Scapegoat. Right. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. That was very interesting. Crazy town. So tell us more about your spooky ghost story. You want to start, Shay? Yeah, I fully had a piece of ice in my mouth. I'm sorry. I know this drink is really good. The drink's good. (laughs) I can't stop. It's tasty. I know. I'm like halfway down with mine. And now you want me to read. (laughs) Yep. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, We struggle with this every week. (laughs) There's a lot of editing that has to be done. Okay. So, it gives good content, apparently. It does. <laughs> well, I guess I'll start. I'll kick this bad boy off. Let me get cozy in my Ikea chair here. Okay. <laughs> so today, we are talking about the Hammersmith Ghost. Uh, this case, it seems to have officially kicked off sometime in November of 1803 in the town of Hammersmith, which was located on the north bank of the 
winding section of the Thames River in London. Hammersmith is also less than five miles west of Buckingham Palace. In the early 19th century, Hammersmith represented the border of the countryside and the city. So that's kind of important for the story because it's like a travel area between country and city. So there's a lot of travelers going back and forth. Yeah. Oh, okay. In the late 1803, this village was pretty much new homes. And apparently the village had a ghost problem. Go figure. Local people said- Oh, I hate having a ghost problem. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) I picked the wrong city. That's when you blame your husband. It's your fault. (laughs) You picked the ghost town. (laughs) Yeah, you should have went with the one I picked. (laughs) Right. I know someone they can call, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, so local people said late at night there was a ghost roaming around the Black Lion Inn, and it was thought that this was the ghost of a man who had slit his own throat in 1802, the previous year, and had been buried around, or I meant, in the Hammersmith uh, churchyard. And the contemporary belief was that suicide victims should not be buried in consecrated ground as their souls would not be at rest. So it would make sense. He killed himself. Mm -hmm. He was buried in this church cemetery. Mm -hmm. He's going to be wandering around spooking people. (laughs) He's going to scare the other (laughs) dead bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Can't have that. Okay. You got to go, sir. You have to be planted somewhere else. (laughs) Planted? Plant him somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The apparition was described as being very tall, dressed in all white, but was also said to wear a calfskin garment with horns and large glass eyes at other times. Not the same. (laughs) But Okay. I think they just have two ghoulies on their hands is what's happening. Oh, there's, yeah, wait, there's more in the end. Like, they talk about it more. Okay, great. I don't know that. (laughs) All right. (sighs) Residents reported that the ghost spent its time antagonizing, harassing, and even sometimes attacking the villagers of Hammersmith, as well as travelers through the area. In fact, at one point, it scared a driver of a wagon that was being pulled by eight horses and carrying 16 people so much so that the driver fled on foot bailing on the horse's wagon and passengers and that seems like a big wagon behind <laughs> like back then i'm imagining that it's if not you cheap. left that big wagon behind that was a lot of money it's like leaving a full-ass uber car behind right like right. <laughs> <laughs> like jumping out of the Porsche and just leaving it sit on the side of the interstate or something <laughs> you can have it <laughs> Another instance, one night there was a woman, an unnamed woman, because this is kind of a little bit of hearsay, but it's a fun spooky story, so we're sharing it. So there was an unnamed woman who was reported to have been grabbed by a ghost while walking near the cemetery. She said that she saw the ghost rise from the tombstone and grabbed her while she tried to run away in full panic mode. She was so affected by her encounter that she fainted from the stress and lay there for hours before being discovered by local townsfolk. They were kind enough to take her to her home and put her safely in bed. Unfortunately, she died in, died in the sleep. Whoa. Unfortunately, she died in her sleep during the night from the comfort of her own home, quote unquote, due to fright. You think it's possible that she had a 
delayed heart attack from the fear? <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to lay here and wait for a minute. <laughs> just kidding. I'm going to have a heart attack. That's so weird. I do wonder. Maybe she hit her head. <laughs> oh, that you makes know so much sense. She did. She was having a bleed. Oh my god! This right? poor yeah. lady and just laid her to bed. <laughs> sleep this one. Like, you got a concussion. It's fine. Just go to sleep. That's what they did back then. <laughs> that's true. Back then, yeah. Survival right. of the fittest, I guess. Darwin was in full swing. True. <laughs> true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, Jen, you want to tell us about the Thomas Groom and his graveyard encounter? All right. Well, Thomas Groom was a servant, described a similar encounter with the apparition, saying, I was going through the churchyard between eight and nine o'clock with my jacket under my arm and my hands in my pocket. When some person came from behind a tombstone, which there are four square in the yard behind me and caught me fast by the throat with both hands, held me fast, my fellow servant who was going on before hearing me scuffing asked what was the matter then whatever it was gave me a twist around and i saw nothing i gave a bit of a push out with my fist and felt something soft like a great coat crazy Mm. that would scare me he had too much to drink at the (laughs) pub before he went through there or you know something's going probably yeah my favorite thing is that his friend's like, bro, you good? <laughs> He's just supervising. He's not like coming to help. <laughs> so I wouldn't so- help in a ghost <laughs> encounter. Sorry. Like I'm out. <laughs> yeah. No I'll thing. sit back here and observe. <laughs> would you also leave? Yeah, I don't fuck with ghosts. Bye, bud. <laughs> I would. I don't care if I get in a car and it starts acting crazy. I'm pulling that thing over and calling AAA. (laughs) You can have it. Thank you. (laughs) So people started to wise up and determine that it was probably some butthead running around and terrorizing the villagers. Oh, I see you changed my notes. I said asshole. (laughs) No, you said something else. I'm not saying. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) hordes of men wandered the streets of Hammersmith, pistols at the ready, prepared to put an end to this terroristic shenanigan. One member of the patrol claimed that he had seen the ghost one evening and noticed that, as the alleged ghost was running away, it removed a large white bedsheet during an <laughs> unsuccessful pursuit. Right. <laughs> 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 that sounds like a scene from Scooby-Doo. Yeah. 100%. Or perhaps he was running out of some woman's house. I don't know. <laughs> His husband came home to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, the bed go. sheet. I gotta go. I have to run yeah, through the. The bed sheet's not aerodynamic. Yeah, you got to take that bed sheet off so you can run faster. <laughs> but then you have plausible deniability. Like if your husband comes home, just be like, "Oh, I was getting railed by a ghost. I don't know what came over me." Kesha said that she did once, so why not? Right. <laughs> oh, right. Yep. <laughs> unfortunately for them the village had so many lanes and paths leading in and out of it that it was difficult to cover every possible entrance and exit because it was like between the city country above the little river there just outside of buckingham palace like there was no way for all of these guys who wanted to take care of the issue to be able to man every single yeah sit posted at a thousand different streets right so, so do you want to talk about the death of Thomas Millwood? Oh, I sure do. I knew you did. That's why I let you have it. <laughs> okay. On December 29th, 
of that same year, William Girdler, a night watchman, saw the ghost while near Beaver Lane and it chased and he chased it. The apparition threw its shroud off and managed to escape. So this is like round two of this guy being like, you know what? Fuck this blanket. I'm out. (laughs) Since London did not have an organized police force at the time and as, quote, many people were very much frightened, unquote, according to the Girdler, I meant according to Girdler, several citizens decided to form armed patrols in hopes of catching the ghost. At the corner of Beaver Lane, while making his rounds around 10.30 p.m. on January 3rd, 1804, Girdler met one of the armed citizens patrolling the area, a 29-year-old excise officer, Francis Smith. Francis Smith. Franny boy. It was said that Smith had enough of all this bullcrap and decided that the ghost is bothering everyone and I need to deal with it since no one else is. Mm Mm-hmm. And he prepared himself by visiting a local pub. Yeah, he was like, I'm going to the pub first. <laughs> and then I'm going to deal with this thing. Good host yeah, you got to have some courage to go fight a ghost. Exactly. I mean, that's what we're doing today. Like, get the alcohol yeah. first and then deal with this. Let's get our Scarlet O'Hare yeah, sure. Ouija board guys. <laughs> <clears throat> so, armed with a shotgun, Smith told Girdler that he was going to go back out and look for this supposed supposed ghost. Girdler agreed that he would join Smith (laughs) after he had called the hour at 11 p.m. and that they would, quote, take the ghost if possible, unquote, and then they went their separate ways. Two drunk men ambling around the street with guns looking for ghosts. With shotguns. Perfect. Woohoo. Hey. (laughs) What? Sounds like our hometown. Nothing bad can happen. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) So safe. (laughs) just after 11 p.m smith encountered thomas millwood a bricklayer who was wearing the normal white clothing of his trade quote linen trousers entirely white washed very clean a waistcoat of coast of flannel apparently new very white and an apron which he wore around him also white (laughs) not a good thing (laughs) just saying (laughs) Millwood had been heading home from a visit to his parents and sister who lived in Black Lion Lane, which is where these two drunk, ambling idiots are running around. Yeah, they're getting ready to take care of this ghost. <laughs> and I'm out there wearing white, all like crispy, new, fresh white yeah. linen. <laughs> He's he probably looked fly stepping out in his white, white suit. <laughs> Respect the drip, Karen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, but... On a on a practical note, it's eighteen hundreds. How are they white? <laughs> it was brand new. I don't know. He they uh, had to I be brand know. new. Yeah, it had to be like he purposely put on brand new. Right, duds. Eighteen oh four bleach. Come on, Jane, get it together. Oh, good point. Yeah, <laughs> it was a special brand of the cotton. They grew that one in a special field. A special field. Tell us what uh, okay, it resisted stains. so you may ask yourself why the fuck this man thomas millwood would choose to continue to wear this crispy white outfit in the middle of a full-fledged ghost panic thomas had two very valid reasons one they were the clothes of his trade second he was stubborn it sounds very stubborn like a very stubborn (laughs) man to me I know. That sounds like a you problem, Thomas. Actually, no, we're not blaming victims. We're moving on. We're going to ski right past that. (laughs) So, 
his family was basically like, all right, dude, maybe it's time to stop wearing your work clothes around town. People are getting super jumpy, jumpy and sugar happy. They suggested that he wear a big coat over his work clothes when out in public to avoid being mistaken as the Hammersmith ghost again, considering he had been mistaken twice before <gasps> as the ghost. Twice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. And this Tom guy. Like, exactly. He's wearing red shirt in a crip neighborhood. What is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> By the way, there were a few travelers that previously yelled at Millwood that he was the ghost, and Millwood asked the man in the carriage if he would like a punch in the head. <laughs> That's so cute. Would you like a punch in the head? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna use that line next time I get into an argument with somebody. Would you like a punch in the head? head? <laughs> like a knuckle sandwich back in the 1800s oh like a punch God. in the head <laughs> <laughs> so the decision to continue wearing his white work clothes mixed with the fired up ghost vigilante vigilante francis smith inadvertently kick-started a 200 year long english legal debate regarding regarding the basis for the legal principles of self-defense. And it, and it was more like over a century, so way longer than 200 years. My love, a century is one year. A hundred. It was over a hundred years. This is 200. 100, 200. I don't Wait, know. But are, are we <laughs> timing it right? Because 1800 to 1900? Yeah. Oh, shit. Is that right? Am I 100 adding years. right? Is my math right? I don't know. I've got too much to drink kicking. now. I can't oh, think. <laughs> It went Damn it, Declan. <laughs> to like I failed a couple math classes. <laughs> this this scarlet hair is going down way too smooth. I'm really bad at math. Almost. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. between 100 it's and 200. How about that? 200-ish. Sounds good. Perfect. All right, I'll yes. go with it. It was a long damn time, okay? <laughs> way longer <laughs> than it probably should have been. <laughs> <laughs> so it was about somewhere between 100 and 200 year long English legal debate regarding the basis for legal principles of self-defense. Continuing on in the evening of January 3rd, 1804, the night Francis Smith decided to resolve this whole ghost mess, he stated that he called twice to the figure that he saw in white, but did not get a response, and the figure continued to proceed toward him, which sent Smith into a full ghost panic, and he started shooting wildly into the night. Crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> no. Maybe That's not. the English version of Ghostbusters. They're just shooting into yeah. the air. <laughs> yeah. Say you Yosemite Sam style. <laughs> <laughs> I had read somewhere, too, that this area, like, nobody was super alarmed by the shots because this was kind of like, um, like, Compton-type vibes where Mm -hmm. it's just shot after shot after shot. I think they said, like, every quarter hour there was a shot, so they were just completely unbothered by this. So they were like, all right, great, lots of shooting. (laughs) I could be wrong, but I don't think guns are legal in the U.K., Maybe they were yeah, in the 1800s. Like years ago, so maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe laws have changed. Right. <laughs> probably. He ruined it for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> There's always got to be one. <laughs> yep. According to his sister, Anne Millwood, immediately after seeing her brother off, she heard Smith challenge him. 
saying, quote, damn you, who are you and what are you? Damn you, I'll shoot you, unquote. She saw a flash of light after which Sam, uh, nope, after which Smith shot him in the left of the lower jaw and killed him and ran quickly to find her brother. Yeah, because apparently he wasn't that far away from the house. Well, she saw the light, so. Yeah, she said she Jesus. saw the flash. Oh. Yeah. Holy Two crap. I know, Jesus. So after hearing the shot, Girdler and Smith's neighborhood, nope, jeez. Girdler and Smith's neighbor, John Locke, together with George Stowe, met Smith, who, quote, appeared very much agitated, unquote. Upon seeing Millwood's body, the others advised Smith to return home. So think about that. Like, hey, guys, I got this under control. Now, you who just shot him, just go home. <laughs> go to bed. Nothing <laughs> to see here. Go calm down in your bed at home. Sorry, you just got so traumatized weird. for life, but right. <laughs> those are good friends, man. Just call your friends and be like, "Hey, come over here and take care of this dead body." And now send me that home. I just shot. <laughs> yeah. What a cleanup crew. Um. All right. Yeah. So meanwhile, the constable arrived at the scene and took Smith into custody. Millwood's corpse was carried to the pub by Girdler, where a surgeon, Mr. Flower, examined the body on the 6th of January and pronounced the death to be the result of, quote, a gunshot wound to the left side of the lower jaw with small shot about size number four, one of which penetrated the vertebrae of the neck and injured the spinal marrow, unquote. So basically the coroner, coroner deemed this a willful murder. So I guess back then surgeons just presented to the pub to do autopsies. <laughs> so here's the other thing. <laughs> I had heard. Was he was in the pub? <laughs> they brought him to the pub. They carried him to the pub. <laughs> and the surgeon's like, after like two shots, I got this. Hold on. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I had read somewhere that the pub was basically like the catch all for everyone. Like the constables were there. The friggin' judge was there just vibing out. There was the surgeon, like everyone uh, uh, would congregate there. And then they just had like the inn on top of the pub. So, yeah. you know, like, yeah. just hang out. Right. Just put the body over there. I'll check it out tomorrow <laughs> right. when I'm done with these shots. For reason, he's getting a little stinky, but yeah, put him in the corner. Oh, okay. <laughs> in the back somewhere. <laughs> okay, so do you want to do the trial of Absolutely. Francis Smith? So let's talk about the trial of Mr. Francis Smith, who shot his shotgun all over the place. <laughs> on January 13th, the trial started. It, this trial would be a very important part of English history. Smith was tried for willful murder, and this case would be a very difficult case as it challenged the self-defense laws at the time back then mm -hmm. in England. So Smith testified that he truly believed that Millwood was the ghost and that he thought he was defending himself. <laughs> like, what did he do to him? I mean, we're talking self-defense. Square like, up in the street with a ghost. I'm what is saying, your plan, sir? What do you do? What do you do? All right, so Smith did show a lot of remorse. At times, he was unable to stand. It was even mentioned that maybe he vomited during the trial. Oh, I feel I bad for making fun of him now. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> mm, she says. <laughs> <laughs> during the coroner's inquest, witnesses further corroborated this possibility, stating that, quote, the night was so dark and gloomy and the limited light in the lane was obscured further by hedges on either side so that it was difficult to see a person on the other side of the lane, which was less than four yards wide, end quote. Okay, okay so that still gives you the okay to shoot. Just shoot. Yep. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I can't see what I'm shooting, but I'm going to shoot. 
It's it's white. That's a fair point. Like that's yep. actually kind of worse. <laughs> it's white. I'm shooting. That's that's basically. Yep. Open target. It's good. Okay. So there were multiple character witnesses that testified on Smith's behalf, saying that Smith was a gentle guy who wouldn't hurt a fly and went out that evening with the best of intentions to defend his town. Um, the deceased deceased wife, Mrs. Fulbrook, and I don't really understand why her last name is Fulbrook. I don't know. Maybe they didn't take each other's names back then. I, know, I was so confused on that. I don't know. Stated that she had warned him to cover his white clothing with a great coat as he had already been mistaken for the ghost on previous occasion. But you know, he didn't listen. He said, no, this trip is way too crispy. I'm not covering this. You're not going to start my creative photo. Dude, I have a reputation, you know? <laughs> the whitest clothed man in town. I have to look a certain way. <laughs> All right. He so- refused to take off the white Air Force ones. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you got to be true to that profession. Yeah. So, um, Mrs. Fulbrook's testimony says, "Quote: On Saturday evening, he and I were at home, for he lived with me. He said he had frightened two ladies and a gentleman who were coming along the terrace in a carriage. <laughs> for that, the man said he dared to say, there goes the ghost.'" That he said he was no more a ghost than he was and asked him, using a bad word, did he want a punch of the head? Oh my god, it's this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I begged, she says, I begged of him to change his dress. Thomas, says I, as there is a piece of work about the ghost and your clothes look white, pray do put on your great coat that you may not run into any danger. So, I mean, like, it sounds like this wife was like, I'm trying to put some sense into your head, mister. Stop trying to get shot by the neighborhood freaks. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Millwood's sister testified that although Smith had called on her brother to stop or he would shoot, Smith fired the gun almost immediately because I guess she heard it. She saw the flash. She ran out there. Oh, shit, wait. And then he went, do you like? She's basically saying, listen, that was way too fast for him to even have a chance to even talk to him. Good to know. Yeah. So despite a number of declarations of Smith's good character, the chief judge, Lord Chief Baron Sir Archibald MacDonald, I can't imagine fitting that on a plaque. (laughs) (laughs) He advised the jury that malice was not required of murder, merely an intent to kill. Hmm. Yeah. So he goes on to say, the judge, I should betray my duty and injure the public security if I did not persist in asserting that there is a clear case of murder. If the facts be proved to your satisfaction, all killing, whatever amounts to murder, unless justified by law or in self-defense, in cases of some involuntary acts or some sufficiently violent provocation, it becomes manslaughter. Not one of these circumstances occur here. So that was the Mm. judge, Lord, blah, 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 talking. Okay. Yeah, so he's just basically telling the jury, like, this is... Emotions don't matter. Someone died. Right. It doesn't matter how many people say he's a nice guy. It's factual. He still shot someone. Right. Okay. So the coroner the coroner judged the act was a rash act of willful, willful murder, and Smith was sent to trial. While Smith did admit to killing Millwood, he maintained his innocence, insisting that it was a case of mistaken identity. I don't understand that. Like, okay, it was it was a it was white. He saw white. Okay, the jury was incredibly sympathetic towards Smith because they understood and appreciated his intentions. And one of the three judges on the case had to remind them that just because there was a abominable person, abominable, abominable I can't talk now. 
person guilty of the misdemeanor of terrifying the neighborhood, this didn't give Smith the right to run around shooting whoever he thought the ghost was. He did fire it with a rashness which the law does not excuse. In all the circumstances of the case, no man is allowed to kill another rashly. So there goes the question of, can you just run around shooting people back then? <laughs> Apparently not. No. <laughs> yeah. So the judge closed his remarks by reminding the jury that the previous good character of the accused meant nothing in this case, which is really interesting that they had a judge say that to the jury. I know. You know? Talking very quick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think uh, the alcohol makes us talk faster. We need to chill. So after considering for an hour, the jury decided he was not guilty of murder and returned a verdict of manslaughter. So that's interesting also the jury's like yeah you charged him with murder but we're gonna charge him with manslaughter <laughs> we changed our mind <laughs> we decided we're gonna do the charging here <laughs> however the laws at the time did not permit the judges to accept this verdict because this was not a charge that was brought against smith so judge mcdonald informed the jury that the court could not receive such a verdict and that they must either find smith guilty of murder or acquit him that Smith believed Millwood was a ghost was irrelevant. After considering all of the evidence and options, the jury again returned with the verdict and they said guilty. And Smith was sentenced to death by hanging. Oh, Lord. Right? So the, the village people went nuts over this conviction. And the <gasps> public people. interest was so great that Lord Chief Baron immediately reported the case to the Crown, who was King George III at the time. So King George III ended up commuting Smith's sentence, Smith's sentence to one year of hard labor on January 25th instead of hanging. I'm just saying. Oh, like, my. That's a huge that's difference. A that's a slap <laughs> to the whole family of this poor man. Like, I know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's disturbing. When I, when I saw that part at the end, I'm like, are you kidding me? You went from death by hanging to a one year, do, go do some labor? I know, like from the out, break some rocks. I know that's like, yeah, from a storytelling perspective, it's a little. If it wasn't actually someone who died, it's like that's kind of funny. But like, someone actually died, so it's a lot less funny when you think about that. It is. Was there actually a ghost? Apparently, a few days after the murder of Thomas Millwood, a cobbler named John Graham came forward and admitted to being the ghost. Graham explained that the apprentices in his shop had been freaking his kids out with ghost stories and wanted to give his employees a taste of their own medicine. <laughs> Which is something like when we all do that. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm going to get that. <laughs> so Graham wrapped himself in a white blanket or a white tablecloth and tried to frighten his workers at night on a few occasions. Weirdly, Graham was a singer in the church, and he even sang at Melwood's funeral, which was an obvious loss of life directly related to the Hammersmith ghost, a.k.a. John freaking Graham. How did he sing, knowing that? I was like, with his voice, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I misunderstood the question. How could you even, like, I would be, like, breaking. Oh, my God, I might have had something to do with this. (laughs) My bad, guys. Yeah. Um, so Graham was arrested in January of 1804 and charged with being a big old nuisance. Graham admitted he did not, uh, he did this, but only on December 29th one time. 
Most residents stated they did not see an apparition any longer, but some stated that they did still see it afterward. So there were multiple people or a group trying... Was so, there... I realized that was a question after yeah. I started. So were there multiple people or just a group trying to have fun with their neighbors? Despite the obvious death of the Hammersmith ghost, the townspeople would allege that the ghost of Millwood still lingered around where he was put to death in the Hammersmith uh, pub. The ghost resurfaced in 1824, this time with hooks and the ability to breathe fire. <laughs> this is definitely you're right. We do as a ghost resurfaced it resurfaced in 1824 and this time with hooks and the ability to breathe fire and it was found out that it was a young man and was caught and sent to the house of corrections i mean how did he do the power part <laughs> scooby-doo tricks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like i was laughing so i was thinking of declan earlier being like haha it's like scooby-doo and i'm like no no he, you're right it kind of is like scooby-doo <laughs> Some locals claim every 50 years at midnight on a full moon, the Hammersmith Churchyard is visited by a white specter floating through the graveyard. All right, gang. So what we're going to do is we're all going to buy tickets to Hammersmith. (laughs) We're going to have a seance in the graveyard. (laughs) So I'll watch from the distance. (laughs) (laughs) Be on the outside like, good job, guys. You're doing it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to sum up the effects on the UK law. It was like between 100 and 200 years of this whole thing back and forth about what self-defense is. Yeah. And uh, eventually, in November of 1983, there was a case that was in the appeals court where Lord Chief Justice Lane referred to the historical debate. And he said, basically, he's going to clarify this problem and he wants an end to it. So he says, in a case of self-defense where self-defense or the prevention of crime is concerned, if the jury came to the conclusion that the defendant believed or may have believed that he was being attacked or that a crime was being committed and that force was necessary to protect himself or to prevent the crime, then the prosecution have not proved their case. If, however, the defendant's alleged belief was mistaken and if the mistake was an unreasonable one, that may be a peaceful reason for coming to the conclusion that the belief was not honestly held and should be rejected. Even if the jury comes to the conclusion that the mistake was an unreasonable one, if the defendant may genuinely have been laboring under it, he is entitled to rely upon it. So he cleared up this huge debate from what, 1804 to 1980? By basically being like, if you thought that you were going to get attacked, then you're allowed to... Like, shoot in self-defense is basically what he's saying. Yeah, he's kind of giving the murderers a way to get out, I'm just saying. Well, I think it depends, though, like, if they can prove that they were actually in fear of their life. Like, if there's reasonable doubt, then they can be like, yeah, no, you're full of shit. But... Yeah, so then they wrote it into law. Um, huh. Back Beckford versus the Queen in 1988. It was written into law in the Criminal Justice and Immigration Act of 2008 or... England so mm-hmm. this it's funny that this whole con- this case like was a whole big controversy legally also a huge <laughs> part of their history with the legal side also goddamn Thomas Melwood <laughs> right <laughs> all because he wanted to wear his work clothes so he had to be stubborn a stubborn man there's none of those stubborn kills you guys <laughs> 
Well, that's our story. Our tale of the day of the Hammersmith ghost. We talked forever and I'm so sorry, but thanks for hanging out with us. (laughs) You bet. We like to end our uh, each episode with a chaser, which is just something fun that you could suggest or recommend or something that, you know, made you smile, made you laugh, something along like those lines. Do you have a chaser for us today? I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> um, am I speaking for both of us, Jen, or is this a yeah, chaser? Ahead. Okay, bet. So... Has everyone seen the It's Corn video with that cute little kid getting so hype over corn? No, I haven't seen it. (gasps) I have not. My daughter brought it and forced me to watch it. It's so cute. This kid's basically like, oh my God, corn is God's gift to earth. It's wonderful. When I had it with butter, everything changed. Like it's a whole thing. It's so cute. So, (laughs) Oh my gosh. I agree with him. (laughs) He's not wrong. He's a very enthusiastic like six-year-old. It's precious so i'd seen that video and i was like where did this come from and i found the entire um channel it's called uh uh uh, recess therapy and it's so funny because they do all these little videos of these kids and it's this really friendly um basically interviewer guy and he'll go up and be like oh can you tell me when the internet was invented or do you like corn because the kid was eating corn or like this other kid was like, I want to be a stand-up comedian. He's like five. He's like this chunky little adorable child. <laughs> and the guy's like, can you tell me any jokes? And he goes, I have a joke about Charles Dickens. And he's <laughs> like, okay, what is it? And he's like, I don't remember. <laughs> it's so cute. Like 10 out of 10 recommend. That is the funniest, most adorable little channel. It's very much like kids say the darndest thing, Bill Cosby vibes. It's so. very much like that. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's great. But without Bill Cosby? <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> Declan, do you have a chaser for us? Yes. My chaser is, I guess I have two chasers. The first one is pretty Ooh. quick. So uh, everybody go watch Captive on HBO. I just watched that movie last night and it's super good. Oh. I won't oh, give too much it. away Captive? about it. But Ryan Reynolds Captive. is in it, so... It must be a good movie. <laughs> oh, okay. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> Stamp of approval. And my second chaser is a news article that I saw the other day. Uh, it's a blind man and an armless man have planted a forest. So oh. two guys uh, ended up meeting each other. And one of them was fully blind and the other had no arms. And so... The, the guy with no arms offered his sleeve to the blindless or the, the blind man and said, uh, I'll be your arms if you be my eyes. So they've been friends for the past 10 years. And over those 10 years, they've planted 100,000 trees in China. Oh, my so gosh. Wow. Together, they just all day they go out and he leads the blind man with his sleeve. And then the blind man does all the planting and stuff and. I just thought that was super wow. cool to see uh, two people working together like that. That is super That's cool. That's amazing. It's refreshing. Yeah, I love that. Wow. 
very cool. Yeah, so those, those like are my those. chasers. Dang. Cool. A movie and a heartwarming story. Nice. <laughs> the person. That's so sweet. It's awesome. Well, my chaser is a book series recommendation. And it is called the uh, Stillhouse Lake series by the author is Rachel Kane. And it's all about this woman who's who finds out that her husband is a serial killer. And he oh. has been murdering his victims in their garage. And oh. yeah, it's so <laughs> gross. It, it's found out because somebody, like, if I remember right, because there's like six books in the series, I think. And the whole thing started off with somebody uh, accidentally, like, driving their car into the garage and then finding his kill room. And... Then it picks up with her later. She's had to change her name. She had gotten accused of being his assistant, his helper. How could she not have known? It was in her own home. And they have two kids together. And it's all about her going on the run. And they she changes their names and moves several times because – his followers that her husband gets convicted and sentenced to prison and everything. And he has followers who think that she was involved. And then also victims, families think she was involved and they are gunning for her. So it's a cool little fictional story series, really good writing, love the author, love the whole thing. Just it clicks on really fast. So you just stay engrossed in it the whole time so that's my chaser for today wow that sounds very interesting yeah i mean like how do you handle that (laughs) Uh, right just like offing people in the garage i don't (laughs) right i don't i don't know what i would do about that i mean i've been looking for a good book book series i've been reading a lot of ruth Ware, so i'm excited to branch out that sounds wonderful it's really good. I can tell you a story. <laughs> okay. It's, very, it's, it's different than the ones you guys have told, but it's just something that clicked in my head since you all went through this and I wasn't prepared with the chaser, but <laughs> I just thought of one. Okay. Last Friday, I was overhearing my daughter on her virtual school and she ha- she didn't have her headphones on. She had the speaker on and I'm thinking about these teachers and the more that... I pay attention to this, the more I think, yeah, I was not made to be a teacher. I, <laughs> I definitely picked my correct line. Like, I don't know how they deal with this, but the kids were just so cute. And so they were talking back and forth. And the one kid had said um, something like, don't talk about that. And then like the other kids were like, well, she should be able to talk. And we're talking about like fourth grade right now. And the kids were sticking up for each other to the point to where the one apologized and the other kid came back on and started talking. Cause you could tell that that child maybe took a little longer, Mm, you know, to do something. And I just think it's so cute and so nice right now that a lot of the kids that maybe didn't have resources to socialize are able to Mm -hmm. do it on platforms where we didn't have that when we were younger like school yeah I just think that it's so 
invigorating to watch these children be able to socialize to the point to where they can actually give each other positiveness and support each other mm-hmm. no matter what's going on in the in outside world. That's so cute. Right. It was super yeah, cute. Yeah, that's awesome. Really, really awesome for, you know, this generation like yeah. to keep supporting each other. They're going to be good. Yeah. I don't know. It was just cute. It was like my, my <laughs> little cute moment over the past month. I'm like, so cute chaser. They just made, it just made That's me happy, awesome. yeah. you know, because so many yes. kids suffer. And it's just like, even the ones who don't have the resources are able to now almost be equal in that sense. They can get internet from, you know, different sources yeah. and they can jump on and they can talk to kids and do things Yeah, and be kids. I love that. I know. It was cute. It's awesome. very cute. Very cool. Well, would you would you guys like to give us a little spiel on where everyone can find you and remind us of your podcast name and all that good stuff? Yes. Okay. So we are <laughs> Crimes, Cryptids, and Controversies. We can be found pretty much all of like our um, our website, our Patreon our streaming services, everything can be found at our Linktree page. So L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash C-X-3 underscore podcast. Um, I mean, you can just pretty much find us there. <laughs> We're just chilling. <laughs> yeah, we try to keep awesome. everything C-X-3 yeah. underscore podcast. I think the only thing that's not CX3 underscore podcast is our email. And that's because I didn't consider the whole uh, branding portion of things when I was setting up our email. So if you want to email us, it's CX3podcast at gmail.com. Everything else is CX3 underscore podcast. So there you go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks guys so much for joining us and telling us that super creepy story. Thanks for having us. I know. Thanks and, for allowing us to talk for the last 80 minutes. And thanks for the great drink, Declan. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah, no problem. And thank you guys for being on our show, too. Like, they did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. It's just like a little swapsies outsies right now. Uh, yeah. They yeah did I a, loved it. It was very cool. Yeah. This is fun. We should collab more often. Anyway. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.